This programme was first broadcast on Canterbury's community access radio station Plains FM 96.9 and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Improve your health and well-being the natural way with The Medicine Man, next on Plains FM. Good morning. Um, bit of a brisk morning this morning, wasn't it? But uh, this is Mike McCammon here, the, the uh, medicine man. We're here for another little talk about natural medicine and thought we could talk a little bit about what I read in the paper yesterday, which is that hot topic called vaccinations. So I'm not so sure that this talk is going to be about actually vaccinations because really ultimately the decision is yours. And um, thank the lucky stars that it still is your choice because if it stops being your choice, that means you're going to be forcibly medicated and your kids are going to be forcibly medicated. And uh, there's a few facts that uh, really I'd like to say about vaccinations. And uh, there's a few assumptions and, of course, there's a few opinions uh, but the fact of the matter is that there has never been a long-term study on the effects of vaccination over time. And that is the truth. So when we read the article uh, in the newspaper the other day to say that, uh, you know, that people need to be told the truth about vaccinations, that you have to have them. If you don't have them, perish the thought we're all going to die or we're going to get polio and diphtheria and influenza all going to sweep back into us like a scourge. Um, the, the real truth about that, of course, those particular illnesses were well on the decline, and this is really interesting, folks, before vaccinations turned up. Before vaccinations turned up. You get that? Before the vaccinations turned up, the incidence of polio, influenza, diphtheria, etc., etc., were actually on the decline. And you can just Google that any time and look up the graphs because that is actually the truth. So um, the problem about... Um, vaccinations is that um, a half-truth is actually worse than a lie because you can actually believe it to be the truth. And there is actually vested interest in vaccinations. Let's face it, the vaccinations make lots of money for drug companies. They make a lot of money for drug companies. So uh, this talk is not about whether, in fact, you should have vaccinations or you shouldn't. The really where I'm coming from is the place where the vaccinations have never really been proved. There's been, as I say, no long-term studies. And yet in my practice as a naturopath over the years, I have met many hundreds of cases of children and have met them as adults, and they have never been well since this particular vaccination. So how do we prove it was the vaccination? We can't unless we do a double-blind clinical trial using three different populations, Right. Um, to actually show the long-term effects. And this needs to be over a 10 or 20-year period so it's never been done. So whether the vaccination's good or not is really not... You cannot say this is the truth. You just cannot say this is the truth. So I would think that in some cases, vaccinations are appropriate and other cases they're not. So each case needs to be taken as an individual. From a naturopathic standpoint, if you're eating what we call immunosupportive plants like um, the brassica family, cabbage, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, and you're having lots of fresh fresh fruit, um, and you, especially onions. The onion family has tremendous uh, immunofighting ability. If you're having a really good diet, 
then you don't need vaccinations, in my opinion. And that's the opinion of a whole lot of other people, including homeopaths, including naturopaths, and some medical doctors. Because it's when you're in the field and when you see people after vaccinations over a long period of time, and I'm talking about in my practice, spanning well over 30 years, yes, I have seen this clinical trial. I have been witness to, to individuals who have never been well since a vaccination. In fact, in the homeopathic materia medica, there's actually a remedy for the patient who has never been well since a vaccination. Uh, and if we mention homeopathy, there are homeopathic vaccination kits where you can take these uh, homeopathic remedies orally without jabbing you, and they're perfectly safe. So we cannot say that vaccinations are safe. That's the other thing. We just cannot do it because I have seen, and many people have seen, uh, side effects from vaccinations. So I think believe that is indisputable. So the basically thing thing is here: if you're eating good food nourishing food, foods that have immunostimulating capacity, and we know what they are. In fact, even the, um, the, the, the British Navy, we called them limeys because they had limes were introduced into the Navy to prevent scurvy. Um, so foods, and particularly natural foods, have immunofighting capabilities loaded with vitamin C, which are antiviral. It's an antiviral vitamin. If we focus on that, do we really, is, is vaccination an issue? That is my question. So here we are back again talking about vaccinations. So we do know that in some cases, vaccinations can cause harm. There was... Um, a work by Dr. Vera Schibner, I'm not sure how to pronounce it actually, um, but this doctor developed a little baby monitor in an effort to prevent what we call sudden infant death syndrome or SIDS. Her monitor sounds an alarm if the baby stops, if the baby stops breathing or shows patterns of stress breathing during sleep. Now, in designing this monitor, she had no preconceived contention of specifically tracking vaccination reactions, as she had never conceived of the fact that vaccinations were any way problematic or harmful. Remember, this is a medical doctor without any preconceived ideas about vaccination. But in due course... When she tracked the infant breathing at night, she recorded the breathing patterns of babies following the DP, DPT injection. She found that the vaccine caused babies a great deal of stress and that this stress showed a remarkable uniformity with stress flare-ups immediately following the vaccinations on day two or five or delayed reaction on the 15th and 16th or 20 or 25th day in babies who recovered and those who subsequently died from sudden infant death syndrome. So um, Schrebner's monitor proved that death from vaccines sometimes occurs weeks after the injection in correlation with stress patterns it identified. However, the longer time frame gives doctors and health authorities every excuse not to attribute it to the vaccination itself. I hope you get the point of that particular study that vaccinations, the effects of vaccinations can actually come out years later, months later, weeks later, days later, and it's very difficult to actually pinpoint that it was the vaccination, but the high there was a high correlation. So we can't sort of write it down in stone that every time someone has a vaccination, they're going to get sick or the baby's going to die. That is patently absurd. But I am saying there's a risk factor that one needs to take into account, just like just about anything you're going to inject into the bloodstream. And remember, this is going to be injected into the bloodstream. So again, um, even though I don't make a hard and fast stand whether you should have vaccination or not, that has to be your choice. And the point that I'm making is this, it has to be your choice. 
The, the, the insidious thing is this, if it suddenly becomes law that you have to have a vaccination, in other words, if they rest their case on supposedly knowing the truth about vaccination when in fact it's a half-truth, they cannot know the truth about vaccination across the board. It's the same as the old time things that the world was created in 2004 BC or the world is flat or there's only one universe and uh, not multiple billions of uncountable universes. Our beliefs are changing every generation. Now, in fact, we've got the technology now that, that our beliefs are changing so rapidly, it's hard to actually keep up with the changes. And vaccinations are one of those things that is always going to have this controversy. I don't believe there's ever going to be the truth on vaccination. I think that's one thing that's going to be around for many, many generations to come. There's going to be vaccinations. The important thing to remember is please keep your uh, freedom of choice. Please, the government officials, let it be uh, informed choice. And I don't think anyone who speaks out against vaccination should, in fact, be penalised in the slightest. It's just there are a number of different opinions, and it really depends on the case itself. Are you feeding your child good food? Are you living in a place that has good ventilation, good insulation, good plumbing? Uh, Are you living in an environment that is conducive for building up immunity? And here's the the thing that um, there is a class of, uh, a group of medical doctors that believe that in fact, um, started by German doctor's ideas called Dr. Rudolf Steiner, who believe that every child needs to go through the certain number of childhood illnesses to develop their own immunity. So by having vaccinations, the opinion goes is that if a child is vaccinated to avoid a particular illness, that child will not develop their natural immunity, leaving them susceptible to either the same virus or something entirely different, they lose that ability to fight it later on in life. That's something to think about. Again, no long-term studies have been done on the effects of vaccination over a long period of time. Okay, so how natural is vaccination? Well, in some ways, you know, if you cut your finger and you're working in the farm and there's, you know, this little parasite called tetanus is hanging around, um, there's nothing worse than actually um, getting tetanus into your bloodstream because it's pretty jolly fatal. So I have to say, just on a personal note, that if I was working on a farm and even if I was having really good food, I probably would say yes to the tetanus vaccination. I probably would myself. So that's just to let you know that I'm not completely one, you know, single-minded on this. Again, it needs to be taken into account what your lifestyle is and the level of health you've got and so forth and your age. But um, the remarkable thing is that when people used to die of smallpox in the, in the 1800s, um, it was pretty deadly to have smallpox. And um, what, what um, I think it was Jenna, one of these doctors, noticed that um, the milkmaidens who milked the cows um, didn't seem to get smallpox. They seemed to have this natural immunity. And for some spark of genius, he, um, he, he noted that um, cowpox was similar to smallpox, but it wasn't. It wasn't fatal. So um, what he noticed was these milkmaids that mil- milked the cows they had um, they had had um, cowpox and recovered, of course, as they do. I don't think anybody dies from cowpox, but um, he, he he somehow got this remarkable in the, um, sense of a I don't know what it was epiphany, and he then actually developed the vaccination and he vaccinated um, individuals with cowpox and found that they developed their own natural resistance. And uh, I think one case he he um, injected in someone that actually had. Um, 
smallpox with this cowpox, and the, the chap actually survived. The, the child survived. So it's pretty compelling evidence that there might be something in, in vaccinations. Uh, so, but the interesting thing is that the vaccinations were then used to um, argue that the case of smallpox in England and Wales, uh, the, the, the cases were actually cured or the epidemic was cured by the, by the smallpox injection or by the cowpox injection, where that, that actually isn't the truth because in 1860 there was a mandatory vaccination was actually enforced in the population in England and in Wales, and that was in 1860. And interestingly enough, the incidences of smallpox uh, went up exponentially. I think they went up something like 300%, right? So um, that's, that's another interesting thing that one needs to look at. And um, then again in 1880, just after 1880, 85, what happened is that the small incidence of smallpox just naturally decreased. And then in 1900, they reintroduced that vaccination again. And uh, then the, the incidence of smallpox just gradually went down to almost nothing by the 1920s. So um, it's, it's, it's left for interpretation, isn't it? Um, it was also claimed that the incidence of polio, diphtheria, typhoid, etc., all all decreased from vaccinations. But um, the the polio in particular had gone down markedly, gone down about 90% before the vaccination, the same as diphtheria had gone well down from, from um, 1,400 deaths per million in England and Wales in 1890 um, to, to about 200 um, deaths per million in 1930 when they then brought in the vaccination which it then continued to go down but if you look at the overall curve that the instance of diphtheria um, was actually di- diminishing long before the vaccination the typhoid fever was um, you know pretty horrendous when people had typhoid when especially in the early 1900s we would have um, quite a number of people would be dying of typhoid um, but there was actually no widespread vaccination at all. And when we get down to the 1960s, and, and um, it diminished to almost nothing, and by 1970 there was no typhoid, and yet there was no actual vaccination for that particular um, disease. So uh, when, when you really look at the facts and you try to get your emotions out of it, the facts don't really support uh, the current stand on vaccination that it is actually the truth, right? There's nothing worse than when someone says the truth truth. Always be suspicious if someone says it's the truth, especially if a bloke says it. If a bloke says, I know the truth, you can guarantee he doesn't. Sometimes when a, when a, when a woman says, I know the truth, believe me, she probably does. But that's another point again. Um, always be aware when people claim they know the truth. What, what you've got, especially in that front page article a few days ago, is a half-truth it's half right and it's half wrong. And the worst thing about a half-truth is you can actually believe it as the truth. And in my opinion, a half-truth is worse than a lie because you can argue for either side and both sides are going to be wrong. If I argue that vaccinations are absolutely wrong, that no one should have it, I'm going to be steering people right and I've got no right to say that because, frankly, I don't know. And if I used to go the other way and say you, you actually must have vaccinations or gonna, you know, all these awful diseases or new diseases are going to sweep the planet and wipe us all out now, poor kids. And otherwise, I bring in all this emotional stuff about how responsible you are when you're having vaccinations and how irresponsible a mum you are, how irresponsible a parent you are if you don't get your children vaccinated. I'm really stepping out of line the other way, right? I'm crossing a line and I don't want to cross that line. 
just get informed. Go to Google. We've never had so much access to the truth, the truth, but the, the truth is going to be what you decide it to be, and that is the closest thing to the truth that I can think of. So here I am, Mike McCammon, the medicine man, talking about vaccinations, a really hot topic, a topic that brings in a lot of emotions, and uh, unfortunately it polarises our population, where some people are dead against it, and some people are absolutely for it, and uh, some people are, don't know, and um, what we really need is informed decisions. So I want to take you back to the, some, uh, a chap that I've talked about before, is Dr. Weston Price in the 1930s. He was a, a brilliant dentist and a successful dentist. He could afford to take time off and travelled the world and he had a mission and his mission, he felt that he wanted to discover what the perfect diet or the perfect way that human beings should be living to keep them healthy. He noticed that those individuals in his practice that had tooth decay, dental problems, periodontal diseases, uh, he noticed that their overall level of health wasn't good and uh, he also noticed that uh, the patients that came in on occasion maybe just to get a, some, a small job done, uh, he found that the people with no tooth decay or with very little tooth decay were actually robust in general health. So there was definitely a link between dental health and, um, and physical health structure. And um, you lis listeners out there, if you've had a lot of health problems, just well, ask yourself how many fillings you've got and see if there is a correlation. Ask some of your friends. I think the the, gen, the, the generation today that of you chaps in the, in the 20s and 30s now, you didn't have what we had in our generation, which is, I remember in the 1960s, going to what we call the murder house. And uh, this was a, a little room where there was a dental nurse in there dressed in white. It should have been, you know, I often think they had horns, but they didn't, but they, you know, they looked like they got horns. And uh, they had a, a drill that was actually pumped by a foot. So this was a, a foot drill. And remember, this is an age of electricity. Remember, they actually had electricity in 1960. But for these poor little six-year-olds and seven-year-olds, they would stick this whopping great drill into their mouth. And if there's any little pits in the tooth enamel, they would drill a whopping great hole and pack it with this unbelievably toxic stuff. In fact, a neurotoxin called mercury. And they would mix mercury with silver and called it amalgam. And it was very easy to use. You just drill a big enough hole and bung it in. And uh, unfortunately, um, it, it's, it's interesting that that very mercury, we were given it to play with in our hands. This is all fun, you know, to roll mercury in our hands. And of course, all you have to do now is if you want to rush off to your computer now and go to YouTube and type in smoking teeth, you'll actually realise that um, mercury is a neurotoxin. And uh, the mercury in, in my generation's mouth was a thousand times more toxic than the recommended <laughs> daily minimum exposure to mercury. So we have a lot of people from my generation that went through chronic fatigue, multiple sclerosis, all sorts of issues. Um, the mercury vapour would be a neurotoxin to the brain and the alimenta that, that would float up, that would vaporise up into the, into the brain and the elemental mercury would go downwards affecting the nervous system down there. So there's multiple sclerosis, there's memory problems, there's all sorts of hassles that people in my generation had to go through. And um, yeah, and that's just not an opinion. You can always just see if you, if you don't believe how toxic mercury is, just Google smoking teeth and have a look at what you can see is mercury vapour coming from a 30-year-old 
mercury filling. Now, what's that got to do with vaccinations? Well, guess what? Some vaccinations have been argued, particularly the old-time polio vaccination, did have mercury in it. So there's one of the things that, um, again, you need to look all that up. How true that is, I don't know, to be honest. But um, as I said before, I have met individuals that have never been well since the vaccination. So, uh, so way back in the 1960s and 70s, and believe it or not, there's actually still some dentists out there. Apparently, you won't believe this, but hard to believe, but there's actually dentists out there that still put mercury amalgam in a human mouth. Unbelievable, isn't it? They still do. And it's just like, these are people that are supposed to be educated? Holy moly! Uh, sometimes education is just cleverness and not really intelligence. A big difference between intelligence and being educated. You know, you know a lot about everything and not know how to boil an egg. Um, so this is a mercury that they have to wear gloves and they've got to put it in a special container. It has to be buried six feet in the ground. as apparently it's supposed to be safe to put in a human mouth. Uh, and that's the absurdity of some of the things. So uh, is the vaccination issue the same sort of issue? In some sense it is, although it's not as black and white as that because I am absolutely convinced that vaccinations have saved lives. I actually convinced that some vaccinations have saved lives. At the same time, I am actually also convinced that some vaccinations have, have actually caused an enormous amount of damage in some individuals. So we have this thing we call... Um, individual variation we're not all the same uh, different people's kidneys function in in more efficient or less efficient ways there's genetic weaknesses and strengths so generally if you if you have a poor immunity that's that's passed down from generation to generation um, I think there's a question whether you should have vaccination or not Look at the history. Look at look at your family history. Um, go and talk to someone who's really spent a lot of time on the pros and cons of vaccination. I'd like to say talk to your doctor, but I, I just wonder the material that they're handed, uh, I would think would be more, more slanted towards uh, having the vaccination. So, you know, how independent is their thinking? Uh, how independent is somebody else's thinking? Uh, again, do the research. Uh, I know that in my family we used lovely uh, fresh food. We had tons of chlorophyll, which is a green. We had heaps of vitamin C in natural ways. We we all took echinacea. Um, we still take echinacea when we when during the winter time. There's all sorts of foods and there's all sorts of herbs that improve immunity. And I'd like to spend the next section talking about. What can we positively do if we decide not to vaccinate? And what can we positively do if we even decide to vaccinate? Because whether you decide to or not, the next section or the last section of this little little discussion this morning is about what are some positive things you can do to give yourself the toughest immune system on the planet. So let's get on to what's really good, whether you've vaccinated your kids or not. Um, the, the top of the list uh, as, as an immunostimulant and, an, and, and to help your immune system get tough and mean is the herb echinacea. There are three different sorts of echinacea. I, I like to use echinacea angustifolia. If there's a problem, you can get a premium-grade echinacea virtually from any health food shop. Um, make sure that it's high quality, and uh, most health food shops now know the difference between high quality and not high quality. Uh, a lot of health food shops now have naturopaths on hand that can actually advise you on how to take echinacea. Um, it's a herb with very few side effects, if, if any, uh, but because it is somewhat pungent, 
Uh, I suppose it's possible to get a reaction from it. I have I have never had in in thirty years of using echinacea. I have never had a negative reaction from echinacea, but I've had only positive feedback from using echinacea. So the use of echinacea makes those white blood cells tougher and meaner. And I've shown that in vivo. In other words, in living people, they have shown uh, with double blind clinical trials, they have shown that their resistance to illnesses uh, go up uh, a significant amount. Um, we've also shown in vitro that when echinacea is introduced into uh, serum and blood and blood and live blood, we find that the immune cells actually get all perky and get you know strong and stroppy and start shining and start going for the bacteria and viruses a, uh, a lot more effectively. So by using echinacea, it's a powerful uh, anti-infection fighter. And could we say that echinacea is better than vaccinations? Well, guess what? In some cases, yes, I would. What's another one? Garlic. Now here's a good one. Just peel a whole lot of garlic, say a handful of garlic. Get maybe five lemons, right? Um, and blend them all together in a blender. Put some honey with it just to make it sort of a bit more palatable. And um, you know, and uh, maybe a little bit of water so that it's liquid enough. And then strain it through through a muslin cloth or push it through a, a sieve, and you'll have this wonderful golden elixir of lemon and garlic. Now, of course, lemon's loaded with your vitamin C. It's also loaded with bioflavonoids, and uh, the garlic has got this wonderful antibiotic called allicin. So, when you when you put those two together and have a spoonful of that a day, a tablespoonful for you and a teaspoonful for your kid, in my opinion, that's the best vaccination you can possibly ever give yourself, and it's so easy to do. And if you don't like the flavour, you can also mix it with jam or something. You know, there's all sorts of ways to get it into you. Um, the other thing is simply go and get some uh, vitamin C tablets, although I, I'm not overly a fan of vitamin C that's isolated ascorbic acid and uh, in the, in the doses that people tend to take. I don't think it's actually that natural. Um, I don't know what I've got to base that on, but I tend to like to use plants. And uh, with vitamin C, anything over 500 milligrams got to be synthetic, so I'm not over keen on synthetic things. Uh, but like I said before, you can make seawater in the laboratory, but no fish will live in it. Uh, so I think that, that um, synthetic vitamin C, I'm not over keen about. So uh, I've already talked about cabbages, um, uh, Brussels sprouts, all the brassica family, all immu- immunosupportive, uh, onions particularly immunosupportive, in fact, Onions were really important in hot countries where they had malaria. Uh, let's take ancient Egypt, of which I've studied a reasonable amount. Um, one of their best medicines was garlic and onions. In fact, they loved onions so so much that the drawing, the hieroglyphic, which is the picture symbols they used to actually write with, the, 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 um, the, the hieroglyphic for wife was a drawing of a bag of onions. So instead of saying, my wee honey, they'd say, ah, my little bag of onions, you know. And that was actually a term of endearment because they knew how important onions were in their society. Without onions, I don't believe there would be pyramids. There wouldn't be anything there. There'd just be a wasteland. So um, food is, in fact, your best medicine. Herbs are concentrated medicines. And uh, when you're using food and herbs and you're drinking the right amount of water and having the right amount of that essential stuff called salt, um, you're going to be very strong. You're going to be resilient. And yes, there's all sorts of things that can happen according to genetics. There's things that are truly, you know, they're programmed in there, but you can have a really good chance to live a great life and a healthy life by using what nature has actually provided. So my message today is nature knows best, and that's my stand. Thanks very much for listening today, and we'll catch up with you next week. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.
that this'll come. 